Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Yo. And Jenna Ipcar. Hello. All right, John forced me and Jenna to watch a movie on Netflix this past week. I'm going to kick it over to him. Let's let him preface this. Yeah, uh, I'm always sort of on the lookout for small horror and sci-fi and action movies because I think there's a lot of like really good filmmaking being done at that level in the past decade or so. I think there may be the one genre of film that's consistently and measurably improved as the technology and everything gets cheaper. A few years ago, back in like 2010, that movie Monsters came out by uh, Gareth Edwards, who went on to do Godzilla. And it was okay. I didn't love it. It's about monsters in like Mexico and the army's trying to get them out. But really, it's this whole metaphor for how we treat Mexico. And conceptually, it was better than it was as a film. So last year, or I guess the beginning of this year, a sequel finally came out made by some other filmmakers who I'd never heard of before. Actually, can you pull their names up? Because I feel like we got to credit them. And it was um, odd for a very low budget science fiction horror movie, which is sort of why I wanted Cody and Jenna to see it. It's two hours long flat, which already is very strange. Directed by a guy named Tom Green, not to be confused with Tom Green, the... uh Freddie Got Fingered auteur. Yeah, Tom Green too. And he did a really interesting thing here, I thought. He made a movie that was very political and um, looked much more expensive and sprawling than it was. And actually, I really thought it had some interesting things to say and a few really powerful scenes in it. And it's been just trashed. It has... Cody, What's the? what are the stats on this, on this little fella? It's currently sitting at 19% with critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 16% with users. So even even people that are just fans of the genre that came on and voiced their opinion on Rotten Tomatoes, they're not feeling this one. Yeah, which is why I wanted the two of you to watch it, because I wanted to know if I was just crazy for thinking it was a pretty solid movie. You are not crazy. Yeah. This does not deserve that. I would I would give it like a three and a half out of five. I yeah, think easily. it was a pretty solid movie. It's one of those where like, even if it's not your cup of tea, like, what are you seeing in it that deserves that little? Right. I, I feel like this is the post Mystery Science Theater 3000 world where like any low budget genre movie is immediately like deducted 20 points in everybody's mind. Right. And there's this sense that, well, like you're either Avatar or you're shit. I think they started at like zero and dial up rather than like with dramas yeah. where they're like, an Oscar drama, they'll keep it at five and then they'll like deduct a little bit and then they'll end up at like four or yeah, something. Yeah. And I I really liked Monsters Dark Continent, as it's called. I thought um, in some ways it's one of the most honest movies about the oil wars I've seen. We, we should talk about the... Do you want to summarize it? All right. Yeah. So basically the, the premise of this one is... Um, the first one was about these monsters in um, Mexico. This one is about, all right, a comet landed or whatever, and it's the same monsters from the first one. They're in the Middle East, and we've sent a whole bunch of soldiers, America and like a coalition have sent a whole bunch of soldiers to wipe them out in the Middle East, but we keep killing people in the bombing raids. So now they have this monster problem. They have these herds, which are really just some incredible images, especially on a budget, these oh, yeah. giant herds of huge lumbering monsters, which really are, they're just animals. You know, they're not particularly aggressive. They're not tearing cities up. They're just moving. Right. They're trying to wipe these herds out. And then at the same time, they have these insurgents who are trying to get back at 
at the army because, you know, like we bombed their kids and their wives and everything to hell. There's this actually there's this one amazing little scene where they're uh, they hit an IED and they're trying to figure out whether it was set for them or set against the monsters. And there's this just I was going to bring that up later on. That was my favorite line in the whole movie. And that was the whole movie, which is uh, I wrote it down. Let me get it exactly. Yeah, and in the in the midst of it, there's all this other stuff where you look at sort of how we treat these animals that are just animals. Like the first time you see one of the monsters, it's a baby, and they're throwing it in a, in a dogfight pit in Detroit. The whole first like 20 minutes of the movie are set in Detroit, and you follow these kids who, um, they're like teenagers, and they're really, I mean, they're unvarnished sort of hooligans in a way you wouldn't, I think, see in a more expensive movie. They really are kind of fucked up. I found the line. The uh, the line is those IEDs were they for monsters or for us? And that it's just a simple line sums up the entire film. You hear that line, you get the entire gist of what we're talking about here. Yeah, and then you know the obvious philosophical sort of trend is that well, the U.S. Army are the monsters in this region, but it's they really stick the landing. I think I I really think they they nailed the um. The, the sort of message of this a lot. And those early scenes in Detroit do a lot too. You know, the first time you see the monster, it's a baby and it's a dog fighting pit and um, it wins. It beats the dog and then everybody's mad because they wanted the dog to win. So the guy just walks over and shoots the alien to death. Right. And the guy's like, well, you can't shoot it for winning. And the guy's just like, fuck it. It's just a thing. Katie Reif of the AV Club, she has a line here on the Rotten Tomatoes. She says... It plays like a dorm room answer to modern war films, complete with the constant profanity and masculine hysterics that pass for impact with an immature script. Well, so I I would address that because there is some stuff I thought was sort of dopey that did take away from this movie. Like which stuff? I mean, the the sort of dorm room stuff is dopey, but I don't know why they let that cloud up everything because it does make sense in context. I don't understand what the... She's talking about the sex scenes, the prostitute scenes, uh, the fact that everyone's cursing constantly, the constant talk about getting pussy, etc. But then again, that's kind of what soldiers can talk about. Yeah, I mean, all that's in Full Metal Jacket. Right, exactly. Which is like enshrined and all that's in Apocalypse Now and... I mean, all that's in literally every war memoir anybody's ever read. Right. Because they're 18-year-old kids. Most of that's through montage, too, towards the beginning. Like, I don't want people to come away, listen to this, think that that's just a constant throughout the film. Yeah, no, it isn't. That's what I'm saying. It's like 10 minutes of the movie, maybe. It it veers off in another direction pretty soon after that. And then it stays amorphous and... And very lean, too. Yeah. I mean, it comes down in the end to two characters and, you know... They don't even really talk to each other for the last 20 minutes or so. It becomes a very quiet movie. Right. Which I always like. Yeah, it's very visual, too. It's uh, the dialogue. Yeah, there's, you know, profanity left and right or whatever. Yeah. People screaming. But essentially, it's it's one of those movies you could watch with the sound off and get it completely. Yeah. Like it, it's told very beautifully visually. Those last two shots, I think, are just extraordinary. Yeah. I would like to ask that person what she thinks of Full Metal Jacket or what she thinks of Apocalypse Now or what she thinks of, I mean, nearly any war movie, Jarhead, because it's this is a movie about 18, 20 year old kids who came from this horrible, abandoned stretch of America where you're sort of left to just die. It's about the the type of adults you grow up to be when you're left there. Yo, how come Detroit in the future is still desolate? That's not fair. I'm not sure it's the future. Oh, okay. It's right now. Yeah, I they kept it pretty yeah. ambiguous, which I kind of liked because it uh, at certain times, yeah, you're like wondering, wait, is this the future? Is this supposed to be now? 
I, I guess I see it more as it's now, but with monsters. Yeah, I, I, I look at these two as like an alternate reality. Right. Um, I, if it's the future, it's a very near future. It's like District 9 or something where it's really not supposed yeah, to be. Like, it doesn't really matter. See, I thought this movie was um, enjoyable easily. You know, the complaints that this person has about it, or I, I, as you said, you can have that complaint about any single war movie. And it ain't just this person. I mean, it's, well, as I said, I, getting way trashed. I'll read some more later on. I definitely on, but, want to hear more. Yeah. You know. I mean, but it does seem to me that what it comes down to, what I sort of thought this movie was deep enough to keep you interested, but not deep enough to care too hard. I didn't really care about any of the characters, though I thought the message was in, was interesting. Yeah, I could get that. It, it does feel a little theoretical. The one I really liked was the, the guy who eventually became a bad guy with the beard. Well, so the, uh, I think actually a problem I sort of had with this movie was in the casting, even though the, it wasn't badly acted, but everybody's British and, or Irish. And you can tell because their accents kind well, of Well, it's a set. British movie. Right. Why? Why, what it, why were they all American? Why not make them British? Because it's about America. But England's part of that. Not in the same... I mean, the British went to Iraq, but the British, you know... I think if you were going to make a movie about British complicity in that, then it would be sort of about, it wouldn't be about people spearheading anything. It would be about, you know, blindly following someone else's mistake. Right. You have well, to take like a, blindly a little bit different an angle, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this was a movie about Americans and, you know, for better or worse, I, I think they actually fairly captured, you know, the worst edge of us. Here's some more uh, quotes. This one's from Tom Huddleston. He's one of the top critics on Rotten Tomatoes. He's, from Time Out magazine. Wasn't he in War Horse? <laughs> That's Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. He okay. says, uh, a desert set men on a mission movie complete with jabbering jihadis, macho hysteria, and the occasional extraterrestrial waving its tentacles in the background as if to say, isn't this supposed to be about me? That seems to be the other group of people that didn't like this movie or people that were like, where were the monsters? Which I, you can actually almost bring up because for a movie that's called Monsters... There's maybe also like 10 minutes of monsters in this movie, but they are interesting and they're symbolic and they play a really, you know, interesting point. It helps with the mood, I think, because I, you're you're waiting to see if there's going to be a big set piece. You're waiting to see um, how big the uh, monsters are going to be involved in the actual plot later on. And you get into this this foreboding that I think the characters share, you know, they don't know when things are going to escalate. Like you said, with the IED that comes out of nowhere and they're, they're kind of like on edge waiting for some big engagement with the monsters that they aren't sure is ever going to happen or what it, what the confines of it are going to be really. But this is such bullshit because then you're saying that like a low budget genre movie can't do what other movies do, which I feel like it comes up a lot because like, this is like saying, well, the Maltese Falcon was bullshit because there wasn't 45 minutes of the Falcon. You know, <laughs> you're saying that a, a, a low budget monster movie can't have a MacGuffin. You know, honestly, that's all this. And, and this it, it pisses me off because this comes up all the time where people act like everything a movie of this budget level in this genre does is accidental. Yeah. And like if it strays from formula, then it's doing it out of ineptness. So they don't judge it on the movie it is. They judge it on the movie they expect it to have been. Right. Which is always the cheapest, worst way for a critic to act. And it, I think it strangles criticism in its fucking crib if your only response to a movie is it wasn't X. Right. You know? And it's a very thoughtful movie. It, it comes across like that pretty blatantly if you're, if you're watching it and you're 
you're focusing on what it's doing rather than what it's not doing. It, it, it has a uh, it has a heart. It has a soul. And the scenes with the monsters that are in there are extraordinary. I mean, that bit where the where the young ones are like running in front of the Humvees. You know, there's that like migration, and you see the the little ones run in front of them. That was like that's beautiful. This movie, if you really have to compare it, this movie is what I wanted out of Pacific Rim. Yeah, mm. me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. And yeah. and like you know, it was you know, as I said, it wasn't it wasn't too deep, but it was deep enough. <laughs> it had a point. And Pacific Rim sucked. I mean, Pacific Rim with all of the money that they threw at it didn't really look that much better than this movie. No. Yeah. Because there's no weight to any of the action. In and Pacific it was Rim. completely boring and bland and just 2D. You know what it reminded me of, too? It reminded me a bit of uh, in Del Toro's uh, Hellboy sequel. There's that great like sensitive scene where it's like a tree monster that like is releasing spores and they, they kind of feel guilty about like fighting the tree monster at some point. Did you, do you guys remember the scene I'm talking about? No, but that reminds me of shadows of the Colossus, which is what this movie reminded me of. Right. Yeah. That the video game. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool game. <laughs> right. And that's kind of what this was, was, you know, you had these giant colossi and you right. sort of felt bad about fighting them. That scene from Hellboy two, that's what I wanted from Pacific Rim. And that's what I got with this film. You know, it, it's a bit more similar to that. I think that was a good way of going with it. I don't, I don't understand any of the complaints saying that the monsters didn't have character and didn't have a stake in the story or, or anything. I mean, they were, very much a, a looming part of it and were necessary in, in that yeah. regard. And they felt like true animals in a way they don't in a lot of movies. Yeah, you know, they, 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 they don't, yeah. they're not malevolent and they're not benevolent either. They're just right. sort of, they exist. And when you attack them, they attack and they're just, they remind me of, um, did, I, did either of you ever read that book, that Wayne Barlow book where they like explore that alien planet and then they made a Discovery Channel show about it? They like no. sent these probes to this alien planet and you see all these huge lumbering aliens just going about their business. I wish I could remember what it was called. It was written by Wayne Barlow, but this, that's what this reminded me of. It, it reminded me of um, the, the stuff with the monsters really felt like safari footage in a way, you know, it really, it felt yeah grounded. It seems like the people that, that are giving it bad reviews, because I was reading some of them, you know, having, you know what John said that everyone hated it and he liked it and I watched it and I liked it. So I wanted to look up why did everyone hate this? And it does seem like that, as you were saying earlier, that people just expected something very specific. They wanted Pacific Rim for whatever reason. Cause Which is also bullshit because the first movie is nothing like that either. Oh, really? The first movie is fairly close to this in tone where it's really about these strange things in the world. And then you have these moments of awe where you interact with them. And you don't see them a lot. So this is like a kind of like a spiritual sequel because I I didn't I didn't see the first one. Yeah, only John saw the first. I one. guess thematically it, it carries over, even though like characters don't carry over. Yeah, I mean the 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 sense of how the the monsters are shot and behave carries over. I think this is better than the first one. Which again, I don't want to give anybody the pr impression that I thought the first one was a particularly bad movie. I just thought it was very unfocused, and this one has a lot of focus, even though it's like. 45 minutes longer or whatever. Martin Tsai from uh, Los Angeles Times, another top critic from Rotten Tomatoes, says, although Edwards is on board for the new Monsters Dark Continent as an executive producer, the sequel bears no resemblance to his original thematically or stylistically. It's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolute bullshit. I mean, there's that scene at the end of this one where the first one is very famous. I'm going to blow the ending for the two of you. 
The Go monsters are um, sort of running around the whole time and you think they're going to kill everybody. And then at the end you see them and they light up and you think everyone's going to die. And it turns out the like monster activity that everybody expected was just mating signals. Mm. And these two monsters meet outside this gas station in Mexico and they just like touch their arms or whatever and like briefly interact and then sort of disappear into the night and that's it. And it's this really kind of beautiful ending. It's the best part of the movie is, is the ending. So this sort of carried on with that where they're, you know, animals. And it had yeah. that beautiful scene where near the end where um, all the main characters are out and they're, you know, they're tired. They're fighting. A lot of their friends have died. And they see one of the monsters and it just like lets loose these spores. Remember that bit? Yeah. Right. You can't and forget so, that bit. So gorgeous. And that's totally in line with what the first one was doing. It's the the sort of natural wonder of this thing that you don't understand and you can't communicate with but that is ultimately pretty much benevolent i wonder if people just like receive screeners of this dvd watch 15 minutes and turned it off because i if, guarantee you that's what happens because if i had done that i also probably would have agreed with them because i didn't uh, and like uh, you know as you say that you get prostitution cursing you know violence whatever the hell in every war movie and i as someone who really likes war movies like I have a fairly high tolerance for it. I did think that it kind of played off as like a bad MTV video in the beginning. And then it gets better though, but it's not out of place. It doesn't but like do you, do you think that's because it's a low budget monster movie? No, from the, because it feels like a lot of the negative criticism I've read were things that they didn't expect to happen in a low budget monster movie happened and it confused people. And then they gave up on it there. I feel like something that if you're watching Full Metal Jacket in the first 20 minutes, it's just Arlie Ermey cursing and yelling at the recruits. If you ported that into the beginning of this movie and didn't change a frame of it, you know, if it just happened that this guy shot it instead of Kubrick, people would be like, well, that was bullshit. That was stupid. Because the standards to which people, to which people in the critical community and in the film community hold horror movies and low budget horror movies, I think is punishing. And I think a lot of things that would fly in movies with higher budgets are assumed to be mistakes here. Any deviation from the norm at this budget level is deemed to be a mistake. And then any usage of sort of a standard element is considered to just be needlessly derivative. Meanwhile, the blockbuster level, I mean, everybody's fucking imitating everybody for, you know, the past 30 years. I mean, right. how many scenes can you pull out of the last 10 years of movies that are almost shot for shot out of Jurassic Park? Well, I think that but, uh, may be true, but I also think that the, the just the camera work and the choices were dopey. I mean, like the slow motion when they're all having sex with prostitutes and like doing drugs is just dopey. It's just it's all over MTV. Spring Breakers. Yeah, and I hated Spring Breakers. So it's like, I, that, love I just don't, spring breakers. I don't it's all like that over, choice. I mean, it's all over um, that last Rihanna video that everyone was in love with. Yeah, this is I a great video. I hate those. So it's like, stuff so this like is that. just a stylistic yeah, thing for you? Yeah, it's stylistic for me. I just thought, like, it, again, like if I had watched the first 15 minutes and that was it. But that said, you know, you watch it, it didn't kill me. You know, it didn't take away from the movie. It Plus, made like, sense. I'll bet half the, like, if, if that's just not your style, whatever, but I'll bet, like, half the people who agree with you on that, in other things, in more palatably mainstream things, they love that shit. Right. Like, Probably. I'll bet you can dig up half those negative re reviews of this for this reason, like, love spring, spring, spring Breakers and love Bitch Better Have My Money and all that shit. It may turn out that us three were the only ones of these critics that actually watch the film it does genuinely sound like that you got any more i kind of want to hear <laughs> yeah more like a lot it. of them read like they didn't make it to the end right Here, here's Definitely. one from uh, village voice 
This is Rob Steger. It's taxing to watch and green moves between scenes with Malik inspired ellipses, frustrating momentum. That reads like he did see it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that guy watched it. But it's another thing where, you know, techniques that on a higher budget level, people go ape for, you know, and these ones, they they trash. And then for some reason in the, the New Yorker approved Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, they love all this shit, too. Mm. But once it turns up on anything else that John Himes didn't do in the direct-to-video market, you know, it's it's stupid. Didn't Cloverfield get good reviews? I hated Cloverfield. Cloverfield got very mixed reviews. I love Cloverfield. Me too. I adore that one. Cloverfield has this other thing where, like, some of the reviewers, it felt like they didn't watch it. Like, the ones who were talking about... I remember acres of reviews talking about how selfish the characters were. And I was sitting there, and I was like, you are just projecting. Because the whole point of the movie is that they're going to save their friend and that they don't split up. And it's, it's like fucking stand by me, Cloverfield. I mean, yeah. the amount of friendship on that movie. Oh, I just wanted them all to die. I just hated them. I thought they were just terrible people. But why? Cause they just sucked. I just like, couldn't care less. It was all just but why? dumb people. They, nothing, no, they, they didn't do anything they good. Du- they didn't this do is anything exactly what I was saying. They literally were spent the entire movie so going what? to rescue people. Go rescue so someone. This whole... That doesn't mean they're good. I don't understand what the fuck you're talking about. And it kind of pisses me off because I've been hearing this for years about this movie. And it's clearly just people who don't like late 20s achievers in New York projecting and projecting that onto the fucking characters no, because that boring. has nothing to do with what the characters were like in the movie. They were boring. I just didn't care. I like what was interesting was the monster. I didn't really care about the people. There was no reason to care about the people. I don't agree with that in any way. I think TJ Miller is so funny in that movie. And Lizzie Kaplan is so fucking good in that movie, too. And, like, it's these great actors, and they really... I mean, that scene when they're hiding out in the, in the subway after the guy's brother dies, and he makes the phone call to his mom to tell her. I mean, that that's just incredible filmmaking. And it was so beautiful and, and so sad and so real. Yeah, and, like, right it's after, shit that, um, that critics pretend, like, wasn't in that movie. That's my number two after Blair Witch as far as best found footage movies. I mean, that's just a tremendous film. It's I would probably put Paranormal between them, but yeah, they're all so high up for me. But it's I think Cloverfield definitely transcended its subgenre, much like Blair Witch Project did. And I think that's it's a really difficult thing that a lot of found footage movies have trouble with, where they yeah. they just don't transcend it. It's like I think they're difficult to pace. Yeah. And Cloverfield is very smart about pacing. Yeah. Like the way it would cut to the um, day before in the tape breaks. Back to uh, Monsters. I've got another quote from, uh, this one's from Robbie Collin from Daily Telegraph. He says, if the idea is to show that war makes monsters of us all, then writer-director Tom Green can't quite seem to bring his film to say it. (laughs) What? And he gave it one out of five stars. That's just missing the point. Yeah, I don't know how to respond to that because I don't agree with the premise, first of all. Right. Yeah, that's it was like he just assumed that that's what the movie was saying. That's just almost too simple, though. I think maybe that's also the other problem is that people just aren't giving this the credit that it could actually have thought, a thought beyond whatever the most obvious yeah. thought is. I Which think that's is, a low budget yeah, problem. That's a huge lo- people like if 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 there's any level of complexity on on a movie of this scale, people refuse to engage in it, and historically have always refuse to engage with it, which is why you always have these moments like 30 years later where this stuff is folded into the mainstream. So like in the 40s when all the film noir stuff was coming out, nobody gave a shit about it. 
until 20 years later, the French were like, no, that stuff was really good. And then um, when you had sort of like the pop art counterculture stuff in the 60s, nobody gave a shit about it until like 20, 30 years later. Right. And people were like, no, that stuff's really good. I mean, it's fucking stupid. And how long can we keep that charade up? Because this this morning, the BBC published a list of the 100 greatest American films. And it's another one of these, you know, like AFI, like IMDb, Citizen Kane, number one, Vertigo, number two lists. Mm. And like, I guess there's nothing wrong with it. But at a certain point, when you look at 20 or 30 of these lists and they're all identical and this idea of a canon just calcifying and like the only surprises in that list were movies that Criterion had released in the past three years, <laughs> right. like love streams, then you got to look at it and be like, well, I mean, if all the critical community is doing is narrowing their horizons, right. then what are you worth? If you're not pointing people to new things that you think somebody could get out of, and if you're not engaging with movies, you know, on a serious level that you might instinctively want to dismiss, then what are you doing? What are you worth? How many times can people watch Vertigo too? Like Vertigo's... I mean, I can't say a bad word in the world about Vertigo. Yeah, but... The, the, and obviously it's better than Monsters Dark Continent, but there's a certain, you Every know, couple years, they it's the thing of like, oh, Vertigo's number one, Vertigo's number two. They they talk about this like it's a, they're talking about the Yankees or something. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, like there's a scorecard you can you can pull to. And frankly, the idea of everybody having their agreed upon this is the best movie is such bullshit to me. And what I really think about those lists is that they're really a list of the most teachable movies. Yeah, you know if you're going to teach a film class. And the trouble with a movie like this one is it's so strange and singular and personal because it's such a small budget that you really can't teach people from it. Right, it's intuitive. Yeah, you can't, you know, like, I mean, you can pull it apart and be like, you know, here's a, here's an open cinematography wide and then it cuts to this close up and the color grading is like this to evoke this, but you can't, you know, you can't really disassemble it like a watch. Right. So when you have that and it doesn't give people something that they can make fun of, like the room, then you have this strata of very good low-budget science fiction horror action movies that are just orphaned mm. and orphaned by the very people who should be championing them. And then I guarantee you in 25 fucking years, half of these critics are going to be pulling, you know, Universal Soldier Regeneration or In Hell with Jean-Claude Van Damme or this one or The Man from Earth or The Cold Equations, you know, out of the archives and be like, oh, Here's a retrospective on the uh, underclass of American cinema at the turn of the century. And fuck you. Right. If you're not going to support it now, fuck you. Because you know now is the time you need to support it. So they make more movies like this. Right. It, well, it seems like it's that like fast food kind of taste, you know, is that people want something that is predictable and that when they, it doesn't matter where they go. But when they go to the McDonald's, it always tastes like McDonald's. And I feel yeah. like that's what people want out of movies half the time, which is why they won't look at this movie Whereas, like, if some crappy horror movie comes out that is, like, you know, but big budget in, in the theaters everywhere, that kind of even seems to get more of a pass. Like, I'm trying to think well, of a numerous sort of, like... if a, if a horror movie like, comes out and people love it, it's immediately classified as a psychological thriller. Right. Which is another one of these <laughs> right. great lies. It's like if a great country song comes out, it's folk. Right. Just immediately. <laughs> right. Here's another quote. This is from Marianne Johansson from Flick Philosopher. And she says, suffers from a terrible case of cinematic aphasia, clearly thinks it's saying something important and deep, but makes no damn sense at all. See, now this is someone who's looking too deep. <laughs> I don't agree That's with what that. I'm I don't saying. think she's looking too deep. I think she's looking too narrow. 
Well, it's either I think that she's looking for, she probably has like a mental scorecard of messages. And if it's not in there, then clearly it can't be trying to say something else. I mean, if you went into Apocalypse Now and tried to find your moral, you'd be like, well, fuck that. But there is a moral in Apocalypse Now. It's just not the same moral as the other war movies was. I just it's feel this like sort she, of grand insanity thing. She went in going expecting something that again was going to probably be more like Cloverfield was going to be more like Pacific Rim that you know was a monster movie. You know like when people say monster movie they expect Godzilla. You know they expect like the monster Have you seen the, the original Godzilla by the way? Yes, out of curiosity. I have. The original Godzilla is nothing like what it's people not a, expect. When exactly. They see, yep. And not as the original King Kong. Exactly. And but this has been a problem in this genre for that long. Right. I mean, but that's what people want. Yeah, and I know exactly like what you her, mean. Yeah. It sounds like she came in expecting that and then didn't get it and goes, well, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Whereas the other person who says like, well, this is just like, well, you know, this is way too simple and, and stupid. How, what do you mean? Yeah, war makes us monsters. Like, no, that's it's like deeper than that. You know, it's like, as you said earlier, even it's that, that you know, the expectation. And then if it doesn't meet your expectation, it's punished. Right. And I, I really do. I'm going to stick by it. It's like, it's just deep enough. Like if you go in and you expect, I expected it to just be popcorn fodder. It wasn't. And I was open to seeing, well, yeah. where is it going to go? I was totally willing to hate this movie and battle you. I love battling you. It's great. <laughs> but like, I it really was, it was a good movie. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'll bet if you sent those two critics, the criterion disc of Godzilla, they'd be like, you know, here's a 30 page essay on the uh, meaning of flames in the last 30 minutes of Godzilla and they would treat it seriously like they would any other movie. Oh right. yeah. If they were born in in 1940 in 1935 or whatever and saw Godzilla in its original run, I bet they'd be like fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's a uh, positive one actually. This is actually from a top critic, uh Leslie Felperin. Uh, Can I say I'll bet Ebert would have liked this movie. I don't think he would have oh, loved yeah. it, but I'll bet he would have liked it for its ambition. Probably 3 out of 4. Yeah. She's from the Hollywood Reporter. And she says, whatever the filmmaker's subtextual intentions may be, the film certainly gets stronger and more compelling as it goes on, thanks in part to intense emoting on the part of its cast. I think the cast was fucking knocking it out of the park. I thought, yeah, I thought there, I thought Johnny Harris was spectacular. Was that the bearded dude? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I think you could have, you could have put him in any of the prestige shows and prestige movies now and he would have. He would have fit right in in any of them. I think we're going to see more of him. I just wanted him to use his real accent. (laughs) (laughs) Another positive one. This one is from Kim Newman of Empire Magazine. He says, this works as a standalone picture with its own distinctive take on alien invasion, but also expands what now seem like a franchise with potential to deliver more and varied snapshots of human behavior in extreme circumstances. And he gave it four out of five. That's awesome. I'd agree with, I guess, every word of that. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> Good job. What's his name again? Kim Newman, Empire Magazine. Kim? Oh, thank you, Kim. Just- Kim, if you want to come on the show and talk about the film, we would love to have you. Yeah. And the first one, because I'd love someone on board who'd seen that one, too. It's interesting yeah. compare and contrast. But yeah, I mean, this is, you know, the last episode I was on with Sydney, I was talking about how I'm afraid movies are ending as a cultural as a major cultural touchstone because of the way we treat them and because of our expectations on them as viewers and as critics. And I think critics kind of lead, even though they have this sort of antagonistic um, relationship with general audiences, they sort of lead how general audiences think about movies. Yeah. And especially since the death of Ebert, who was sort of the last living 
major critic who gives movies a shot on their own merits. You know, you have this sort of culture now where unless it's something that can be taken apart as as sort of a a business capital venture. I mean, even that review of it, as good as it was, was talking about its franchise potential, you know, unless it's something that can be looked at in, in terms of almost like a football team you're assembling with the bingo card of what movies are about, you know, and who are the good actors and who are the bad ones, then, you know, anything outside of those boxes, it's almost like we're not equipped to deal with them. And it can't, it can't go on like this. This is crazy. It just feels like a lull to me, you know, like, unfortunately, the same way I'm, I, you know, right now, I'm not a big fan of music, which feels like it's also kind of going back to the 50s, uh, you know, style of, you know, the writers and then the performers. And it's all just sort of bland. But I mean, like, I feel like everything you've even said about these movies, expectations and otherwise, and, you know, the comparison with Warhol, I mean, like, you can see all of this about the art world, too. Yeah. You know, we should mention, too, it's also getting trashed on Netflix. I think it had like one or two stars on there but that's based on like what it will think you'll like right isn't that yeah the whole thing it, with it? it it bases it on on how you've reviewed other things previously so netflix thought i wasn't gonna like this one and was absolutely wrong i ended up giving it you know i i would give it three and a half but i edged it up to four i always edge it edge it up a little bit yeah you know? You know, what would be interesting would be to see what other movies it suggests because of that, because actually they, they hire people to sit there and and pick those. Right. Yeah. So uh, I wonder if it Joe would Joe Grabinski, his friend. Right. There you go. I yeah, want that job. I know. Yeah. I know. I Dude, really we were begging job. him and he was like, can't do it. <laughs> like, I don't even know how he got it, really. <laughs> but I would wonder if the other movies suggested are like really cheesy horror movies, perhaps. Right. That just are what you expect, you know, like the one note kind of movie. Well, I think a lot of people that gave it one star. I, I remember Monsters did pretty damn well on Netflix. I think that was how that a lot was a of people... very well received. That was a big Sundance. That's hit. how a lot of people saw that film probably is, is Netflix. And I think, you know, I, I went through, you know, the comments of like people that gave it reviews and pretty much all of them were like, oh, it's not as good as Monsters and it's nothing like Monsters, this, that, and the other. So it's a lot of Monsters fanboys that felt like the the impulse that they have to have their voice heard about this one maybe because they want you know a potential third one to be more like the first one or this was a lot like the first one though yeah in all the ways I that you. counted this was a lot with the and, and we even structurally was similar because the first one was about two people lost in a desert with the monsters around them mm. i mean like structurally and philosophically and thematically they were quite similar and they were both on the same budget level which is amazing like I was reading about this movie and, and what they did on the budget they had is, oh yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And even, you know, even the people who genuinely don't like it as a movie and the few critics who made it to the end and didn't like it, I feel like you have to give it some respect for, I mean, it's not easy to make a movie and it's especially not easy to make a movie on like $5 million or whatever no. this is, you know, like the natural state of a movie is to not exist and to pull it out of non-being and, and, and to make it have this visual coherence and this weight of performance and this sort of linearity on that budget for like a first-time director alone is an extraordinary achievement. Oh, yeah. But you, you have this presentation of this movie because of the initial critical beating of it where it's, this is a bad monster movie. And that's the lens through which everybody watches it. And you could give somebody Casablanca and tell them this movie's a piece of shit. And if they'd never heard of it before or anything, they'll, they'll, they'll notice, you know, the little, right, yeah. they'll notice, you know, like the overacting when the guy's shot in the beginning of Casablanca and the tiny little things that don't fly about every movie, 
but that for some reason in science fiction and horror and action, people, and actually romance too, people will not let them happen. Those little things, those little sour notes that every music, every, every movie, like a piece of music has, you know, it, it, it's like this performance in like the keyboardist will slip for like right, it's just got one. dissonance. Yeah. And they're in everything, you know, that's all over, um, you know, all those like beats that don't quite work in Lynch that nobody wants to act like are there. Oh, yeah. And like the little things in Casablanca that don't quite work and the little, you know, the bad makeup in parts of Citizen Kane that people let the movies transcend in those cases as they should. But if it happens in an otherwise good horror, sci-fi or action movie, particularly a low budget one, people will fucking pounce. Very well said. And I think this is the cancer that's driving the industry into the shitter. Mm. I think that's fair if the movie's just written poorly, but I agree with what you're saying. I mean, there's nothing, there's really nothing about this movie. Yeah, like nitpicking type stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, right. You have, you know, the, you know, you can look up on IMDb for any single movie and there's goofs in every single movie and there's people who like, you know, love finding those and like to sit there and point at that and say, well, this is why it's bad or this is why the whole thing's a mistake. Yeah. Is, or like is tactical dumb. errors when the soldiers rush through or shit like that that people flip over. Right. Yeah. It's like, fuck, that's not the fucking movie. Fuck off. <laughs> it's not a manual. Yeah. Just watch the <laughs> goddamn movie. Yeah. I mean, you have to watch every single movie with a grain of salt. Otherwise, you're the, that asshole in the theater that's like, well, these are all all actors are liars. But somehow everybody <laughs> now aspires to be that asshole. Well, Cinema Sins, that gets like millions of hits yeah. every time they, they and, and they're, they're basically, the whole idea of that is just to be as nitpicky as possible. And that's seen as like a good thing. Like they that's are, a fun yeah. thing. People actually watch those videos and they're like, yeah. Because it's so much easier to be a nitpicky asshole than to yep. admit that you actually felt something. Because it yeah. takes a level of or courage. Or that you didn't understand something it was doing and then try to figure it out. I mean, people do that in life. I mean, you yeah. can apply that to most people you meet is that someone would much rather, uh, you know, give you an insult or insult a stranger than compliment them. Same thing that like they'd much rather talk about, uh, oh, I'm really bad at this or whatever. Or talk about how bad you are at something than you are good at something. It's like that people Amy just, Schumer sketch with uh, women giving each other compliments and how they can't actually. So like like some a woman will give another woman the compliment and then they immediately um talk about like oh no i'm not that i'm like absolutely oh, right. horrible i'm like yeah. the worst person ever but men men do it too because yeah. men aren't even allowed to fucking say when they like when's the last time a dude like you know like put his arm around you and said you look really great today you know it's like yeah. it's pretty rare and that's what kind of what you have to do with a movie well, that's if, harassment, you say, Jenna. <laughs> if you say that you love a movie then you're using the word love or you even saying like and then you're opening yourself to criticism by oh, saying yeah. just that and people are fucking pussies. Yeah, it's the chappy battleship thing where before the movie comes out... It has to be the name of some essay that you're working on. The chappy yeah. battleship scenario. Yeah, before the movie even comes out, it's just, you know, it, it's like the Nicene Creed. The council gets together and is like, this is the bad movie. Right. And oh, then yeah. none of them bother to see it. And then when they do see it, they just post their pre-written screeds that they're writing in their head while they're doing it yeah they're like well and i that, already wrote 100 no, like 120 words trashing it i yeah. can just pick up from there and that cinema sins thing is i think the engine that is driving movies down i mean there is such thing as movies that are just marketed terribly you know some trailers can be incredibly misleading can like put sure. a really shitty lens on something i'm actually very curious how, how this was marketed because I didn't hear anything about well, it. Well, I assume if there was a trailer, nobody saw it. 
Right. It was probably yeah, on the beginning of the, some the other DVD and some everybody skipped over it. Yeah, you, know? you just saw the Netflix poster, you got the screener. Yeah. But and that's then they sad. probably Googled the director and were like, well, this isn't Gareth Edwards, even though they all hated his Godzilla movie. And then we're like, well, fuck it. What if these are all people that hated Freddy Got Fingered? And so now they're <laughs> taking it out on this other Tom Green. Yeah, why are there all these British people with the same name? There's a Steve McQueen. There's a Tom Green. I know. They, What's going on? Rhyme? It's America's like Shelbyville. Cool again, it's like we have an alternate <laughs> <laughs> you know, town where we got copies of everybody, but their Tom Green makes uh, thoughtful monster movies. And, and has our, a British accent. Our Tom Green uh, wears prosthetic butts and walks around <laughs> in superhero and costumes. Also is from Canada. Yeah. In the Negaverse, he has a beard. They're Tom Green, man. I feel bad for their Tom Green because you can tell he put a lot of himself into this movie. Oh, yeah. And then it's not even like the people didn't like the himself that he put into it. They just didn't bother looking looking or even, you know, acknowledging that it could possibly even be there. Tom Green, we would love to have you on the show. Actually, both Tom Greens. I'll take I'll take whatever (laughs) Tom Green they want to throw my way. Tom Green roundtable. Yeah. Or if your name's just Tom Green. Yeah. Leave it, us a voicemail. If you're and a fan Seth of the show. Green. Yeah. There's probably a bunch of Seth Greens. There's a there's a Seth Green who is a um fish scientist at the turn of the century. There you go. <laughs> there's can, a yeah, we could get his descendants. <laughs> there's two Adam Greens. There's the Adam Green that made like the Hatchet movies, and then there's Adam Green, the hipster indie singer songwriter. Who was on Cash Cab once. Let's get all six of those greens and then we'll see what magic happens. God, that would be the best episode. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick... The Green Brothers. Yeah. (laughs) This was all just a plug for John's movie, So that's what your movie's about. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a... But really, wait, before we go, just... We're not going to take a quick break. (laughs) Everybody, please, just watch this one on Netflix. Yeah, watch it. Just check it out. Please. It's not going to be the greatest movie you've seen in your life, but it's a very good, strong, cerebral... science fiction movie in the way that you don't really see a lot you know it, if you like district nine you'll like this one you'll mean you'll be moved by parts yeah i was stricken i would call this movie a solid rental yeah yeah especially for netflix solid Nef- netflix watch oh totally rainy night perfect, perfect. if i paid netflix like five watch. bucks for this i would be completely content with that yeah if i paid 15 bucks and saw it in theaters i'd come out and be like yeah i would have loved to have seen this in theaters yeah it wouldn't have yeah. been bad at all that ending must look spectacular in theaters. Mm. Yeah. Alrighty. Quick break. Be back soon. See ya. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. 718395 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. And now, Chloe Peltier, reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. Okay, so you probably don't remember, but a few weeks back, Ted 2 was a thing, for a very brief time, and then it flopped. They thought it would do better, because when I was working three theaters at once, two out of those three was scheduled to play Ted 2, about 20 minutes apart from one another. Now, I went into the first one, which is our biggest theater, and I greeted a lady who was very enthusiastic about Seth MacFarlane movies, and we discussed at length how um, he's almost like warmer in his live-action movies 
because you feel for him more and all this stuff. And she totally agreed with me and everything um, about a million ways to die in the West and how that flopped too, but not as bad as Ted too and everything. And she was like, yeah, it ruled. And I was like, yeah, it looks like it was all right. And then after I got her settled, I walked into the other theater that was after hers, a little, little after that. And there was a gentleman in there by himself. And he was pretty excited about Ted too also. And I said to him, man, like you're the only one in this one and there's a lady in the other one. She's the only one in that one. And I kind of wish that you guys could meet because it seems like you guys would get along. And he was like, well, I would actually be totally down for that. Oh, what time does her movie start? And I was like, oh, hers already started like 20 or 30 minutes ago. And he's like, oh, well, fuck that then. But um, it's too bad. Kind of wanted to match them up. I think they would have been perfect for each other. Thanks, Chloe. And now back to the show. And we are back. Here is a voicemail. Oh, uh, hey, my name is Anthony. I'm from Ohio. Uh, really dig the show. My question is just uh, why is that so many like modern blockbusters, like the love story is just uh, it's like the African Queen, but with like. No sense of like actual like romance. Like I was watching a uh, Jurassic World, and that movie was like it was Chris Pratt, Brett Dallas Howard. Like you know, there wasn't an actual like connection or anything. It was just oh, they he's snarky and she's uptight. Yeah, it's I don't know. Just curious about your thoughts on it. All right. Thank you, Anthony from Ohio. Were you in bed recording that? That was real sultry sound. Oh, yeah. Especially oh, towards the end. Yeah. feel, yeah, like the heat of that. Yeah. yeah. That like late night <laughs> high school, you know, like up with your girlfriend conversation voice. <laughs> I feel like I should have been paying like three ninety nine a minute for that. Um, so Call yeah. Call back anytime. Yeah, seriously. Anthony, <laughs> give me the, uh, getting a little hot in here. Um, I haven't actually seen the the African Queen. It's exactly what he said it is. It is? Okay. <laughs> African Queen's awesome. It's a good movie. But <laughs> it yeah. wasn't out on DVD for like the longest time. There was that whole thing. I can thing. loan you the Blu-ray. Yeah, it was under rights problems. The yeah. thing with the African Queen is it's about two people who genuinely hate each other who um, under the stress of World War II and being stuck on like a little boat together find enjoyment with each other. Mm. And like it, it really... It works mostly because the two of them, Hepburn and, and um, Bogart, are so good. But it also works because the script is so good. It's a James Aggie script. But also because, you know, like there's a reason for them to hate each other. And then there's a reason for them to like each other. Right. And yeah, I, I know exactly what he's talking about. You know, that yeah. like you'd see it on every sitcom, too. It's kind of like the Indiana Jones Temple of Doom thing. I guess. Yeah. Or like every sitcom when like the husband and the wife are just like really mean to each other all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Like uncomfortably bitter to each other. I mean, I think it just sort of creates, it does create an instant chemistry where you're like, oh, how's this going to turn around? You know, how are they going to reconcile it? But I agree. It gets, it gets really dopey. I do think that a big reason why you see that instead of other types of romance uh, is because I think that you don't, ra you rarely see romance that outside of like uh, the sphere of like, it's a, a chick flick. And yeah. then, you know, and which is so lame because yeah, even the chick are more flicks, palatable with people fighting with each other. Yeah. yeah, kind of. And it's also because it's like, you know, men can watch it and, and like still yeah. be men. You it's know? <laughs> like the thing that, you know, you're taught in, in class when you're learning how to write, you're like conflict builds character. 
But I think people just interpret that as, all right, let me just have people bicker and that'll be like drama, you know, like that'll yeah. be interesting. But like every, every romance case. is like, it, it feels like it's a community theater production of the middle of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> it becomes white noise because if it's, if it's just like bickering, 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 there's no dynamism. There's no ups and downs and like, all right, well, why is this? And like, oh, I think something differently now. There's, it, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's just a flat, line it's you know what it is i think it's something that seems very easy to write and is actually very hard to write oh yeah oh yeah because it's very easy to write the bickering and the bullshit but like it's very hard i think to create those plausible pivot points where people who dislike each other would come to like each other the fact that he had to go back to the african queen yeah. as an example shows that it has it's more often than not not done well you know it's another good example of it working right i thought big trouble in little china yeah, and him yeah, and Kim Cattrall, I think archetype. it really, yeah, it really plays there. And, and more part of that like, is it's light. Yeah, and it's like a pulpy comic kind of vibe. And yeah, it just comes across. It's got a good tone. It sucks. I really wish that there were better romances in, in movies when they make sense and are needed. You know, like what really would have taken, I didn't see Jurassic World, to be honest, but what would it have taken away? Wild fucking horses couldn't draw me to Jurassic World. <laughs> I mean, you or the could, Rolling Stones, but um, what what would have taken you know like what would have uh what would have taken away from Jurassic World had they been in love instead of like hating each other and then had to team up together? You know, yeah, like, like in it Jurassic actually Park, might have helped in Jurassic yeah. Park when Sam Neill and Laura Dern have like a genuinely right. like wonderful relationship. Exactly, yeah. and even like a him, partnership. Yeah, even him and Ian Malcolm, they don't exactly get along, but like when shit hits the fan, they they work well together. Right. It's the old Howard Hawks thing where he always believed, and I agreed with it. Howard Hawks and I agree on these two points. We have the same taste in women exactly. Which is? <laughs> Professional, poised women who really don't care about you. Okay. Jeez. Um, <laughs> is there a website for that we can go to? <laughs> no, like, who just, like, are not impressed with your bullshit. Okay. Like, I, I really like, just, like, very strong professional women who just are, like, not impressed with, with the bullshit you peddle. I'd like some calls from those. Yeah. Um, John we, likes being yelled at. We have well, I like yelling at people, so I like somebody who can keep up. <laughs> That's the Italian in him. It really is, yeah. So we have that in common. We also have this belief that Spielberg, I think, shares too, especially in Jurassic Park, where it's more interesting to watch people do their jobs well than do them poorly. Mm. Yeah, and you know, like it's more interesting to be to see people behave like adults than like children. That reminds me of a of a film I tried to watch last night called Corky Romano. The uh, the uh, Chris Kattan vehicle that was the the only Chris Kattan vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I, uh, I gave it a shot because I, I saw a clip from it on YouTube. Like, and you know when you'll see like some perfect clip of something that something in it worked. Like somebody had isolated some part that was just actually pretty digestible. And so I assumed, oh no, this is probably one of those like underrated like nobody really paid attention to you it felt and the, it's actually good the and conch shell burst of like a smug film yeah like this one's underrated well, i had such a good experience with batman and robin the other week that like i was like all right <laughs> i'm on a roll i'm gonna discover some amazing uh, that movie is one of the most impressively ugly movies ever shot oh i think it's gorgeous like when you step it's like caligula where you like look when you step back and look at it as they wanted to show just like a chaotic city they really did. The, the Gotham in Batman and Robin is brilliant. It's just giant like buildings, but also building slash statue hybrids. Yeah, like so, that like, one holding its hand out that like the Batmobile jumps off the fingers incredible. of. It's incredible. It's like Ayn Rand's like wet dream. 
<laughs> and I, I adore that. But anyway, back to Corky Romano. The whole first act of that movie and the entire premise of the whole movie is that he can't do anything properly. And it's so fucking bad because you just like you're basically screaming at the screen. Just just show competence in some area whatsoever. Yeah. Because it just gets so fucking tired. Like he's he's apparently like a vet. And then he's like, oh, I dropped the thing with like the, the snakes in it. And now they're all over the place. Now I got to throw the hamsters back into the hamster cage. And oop, I slipped on a dog and this, that and the other. And then like he has to be an FBI agent undercover. And of course, he sucks at that, too. It's just a series of like him sucking at shit. That's such a choice that keeps being made throughout yeah. history. It reminds <laughs> me of the, the Elvis movie I hated, which was um, Follow That Dream. That's exactly what I hated about it. Like there's a scene where they walk into the bank because they want to open an account and then they right. don't they don't realize Elvis doesn't realize for whatever reason <laughs> that he's everyone thinks he's robbing the bank until literally the alarms going off. The cop has a gun in his head and he's holding like a bank teller who he has a gun out. in his head like the video drone like <laughs> holding a gun at his that head because that sounds great. That's raw imagery for an <laughs> Elvis movie. Yeah, man. But, but then Elvis is like, oh, gee, what? He's like, put the man down with the gun in his face. Uh, what, what are you talking about? Like, why would you not yeah. know at that point? <laughs> it's not even funny. It's just so stupid. And it's the whole so, movie was that's like what, that. It's so that's what easy Arrested, to write. Arrested Development would do that too sometimes where like yeah. Tobias would be painted off as like so fucking dumb. And it's right. like, all right, yeah, it's fun sometimes when he doesn't know what's going on. But like when he really, really doesn't know and it's so obvious, it's like, that's just lazy writing. That's part of what killed The Simpsons, too. Yeah, they, they made Homer, Homer too dumb. Yeah. And it's the, the bitch of it is, especially with comedy, it's just so easy to write. But like, I really believe in that Hawks, Spielberg, John Ford thing where it's more interesting to watch people be good at something than bad at something. Yeah. Like, imagine Jaws if the three of them were sitting there and just like dropping their fucking spear guns and doing pratfalls <laughs> all over the boat. Don't, 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 yeah. don't. <laughs> you know, they see the shark and they're like, what the hell is that? And they fucking try to Gilligan it or whatever. That's basically what blockbuster cinema has come down to now. Yeah. It's fucking Gilligan's Island on the set of Jaws. <laughs> the one cool thing about Corky Romano, which oh is my God. Has, <laughs> has nothing to do with the movie itself, but apparently nobody on set liked the movie and... You know, it, it's Chris Penn and it's uh, Peter Berg are his brothers. And in every single scene of the three of them, Chris Kattan and them together, you can see the hatred, the seething hatred in their faces for what they're doing in this film and the lines that are being said to them. It's so awkward and palpable that I, I, I've honestly never seen anything like that in cinema where you can literally see every... Oh, I could give you a few titles. Yeah, where so every the, other actor yeah. is just like so fucking pissed to be in it and to be looking at this this little dweeb staring at them and smiling. Like, it's it's real. Like, it's <laughs> deep. Watch the Val Kilmer version of um, of The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, I love that which, movie. Which, by the way, there's a and great yeah, documentary yeah. on Netflix about the making of it. Yeah. But yeah, that's another one of those ones where like you could just watch the background of that movie and watch like very nearly an open revolt <laughs> against the movie they're making. Which I think does make the movie better than it probably would have been. Like it, it, It's a bad movie, but it's a fascinatingly bad movie. Yeah, it adds something to it. That's, that's a movie, watchably bad. I've seen that three or four times. I don't know why, but something keeps me coming back to it. I think it's just that strange... It's like, unpredictable. It, it's got like a hot energy to it. Like yeah. it's, it's very sweaty. A lot sweaty. of that's Brando. I mean, he really... He's, he was a fucking lunatic and he helped sabotage the movie, but like... A lot of his stuff about he wanted to play Moreau is just like overheated all the time. Yeah. That really does give it sort of an edge. I do. The yeah. trouble with it is I they didn't have, 
if he was the only one like that, and then they balance that out with a lot of like naturalistic acting around it, Mm -hmm. which is sort of what Apocalypse Now was like. Yeah. That's why they could land it there. Yeah. So what are some good antidotes to this problem? Like, what are some some movies for for old Anthony over there? I think he has to, Anthony, if you haven't already done this, I think you have to maybe try and broaden your horizons of look up movies that maybe the branding of you don't doesn't appeal to you, but the movie might be good. Can you think of any specific ones, though, where there's smug, like a romance not like this? Smug uh, favorite, uh, Boy Meets Girl. Oh, yeah. Was a great Very little good. romance. Yeah. That was, you know, interesting. It's on Netflix now. Yeah. You can check that out right away. Or like, I mean, you can, you find it in comedy actually probably more often than other things, not just romantic comedy, but like, um, the Baxter, I think has a good love story. I would say Douglas Cirque too, but yeah, Baxter is a great modern example. That's a, that's a choice cut. I thought, uh, It Follows recently was really good about this. You know, you had these five kids and one of them was going through this horrible supernatural thing. And the other kids couldn't independently verify it. I mean, they just had to take it on this girl's word. Right. And they just did because she was her friend. So, you know, they're on board and they're trying to help her the whole time. And there's like a romantic thing with a couple of them. And it, it's a rare achievement in that it's it's a horror movie about terrible things happening. And it's about all these people who genuinely want and try to get the best for one another, mm. which is so watchable, I think. I like that in uh, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. I thought their relationship was really, really strong because, you know, the whole point was that, like, he's a skeptic and she's going through this weird supernatural stuff that he's not really aware of. Like, she's seeing shit that he doesn't see. And it's about him coming to grips with, like, this is this person that I love and I want to spend the rest of my life with. And every fabric of her, like, I think she's crazy, but I have to be by her side. And eventually he comes to terms with, like, it's real to her. So I need to be there for her. And I think that's a really good, that was a great romantic arc for that film. It's not romantic, but The Exorcist is great about that too. Mm. You know, just um, the mother's refusal to to accept anything less than them fixing her daughter. And, you know, like the, the stubbornness with which she approached all that. And then when the priests come in and, you know, like, even the priests who are saying we don't do exorcisms, that's not a real thing. This clearly isn't a demon it's just something psychological. They're not malicious. They're just wrong. Right. Which is another, I think, high wire act for a movie to do. And when they pull it off, it feels very real. Boyhood, I also thought, was good about this. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see it either. What the fuck? I know. <laughs> it was very good. And one of the things that felt so real and so honest about it was that, you know, it, it was full of these characters who were on the wrong side of the story, but a handful of them were not, you know, bad people. It, it was that sort of second class of antagonism where it's, you know, situational. And then, you know, like the kid's parents are with him all the way and there's no false, there's no like fake drama shit where, you know, you have like the parents fighting over the kid or anything. It's just, it's, it's about people who want the best for each other. Mm. I think Nicolas Cage actually has some good ones for this. You have Wild at Heart, which I think is actually a great romance movie. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Where where is this, I think is his question in non-romances. Yeah. Because he's talking about blockbusters and he's talking about genre films. Well, where it is, is that the second that, you know, there's a romance again, like, you know, people, they turn off. They think, oh, it's a chick flick. Fuck it. You know, and it's not like the the idea that and number one, I hate chick flicks. I hate that, like that branding because it's so lame. It's like, you know, also like you go to a bookstore and it's like girls section and everything's pink and then it's all just about kissing. You know, it's like just ridiculous. Like, why is this only why is romance only found, you know, that's not antagonistic 
only found in this sort of narrow, weird thing where it's only about the romance. You yeah. know, it's it's silly. It just doesn't make any sense. It's as if men never experience romance. That's ridiculous. And there's plenty of good movies. Yeah, and that as exist. if men didn't like Mean Girls or The Notebook. Oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, there's nothing, there's like nothing inherently feminine about any of it. It's just that it gets branded this certain way. There's been some heartfelt shit in action movies recently. Uh, it seems like action movies have taken up as like a, a template for like how to do a first act of an action movie. Like you've got John Wick. And oh you've got God, John Wick. Harry Brown. Beautiful and, pick for this. John yeah, Wick. you get the love. Yeah. That comes across in spades. John Wick is in its way probably one of the most loving movies of the decade. Mm. Yeah, because action movies right now, because nobody's paying attention to them, are having like an enormous intellectual renaissance. Oh yeah. And I would say without hesitation, it's the best genre in the world right now. Certainly can make a case for that. You know what uh, is actually, it's, it's older, but it's a pretty good pick for this. I always think of the romance, the relationship between um, Eddie Coyle and his wife in The Friends of Eddie oh, Coyle. Oh, yeah. Which is only in a few scenes, but, you know, it's, it, those scenes are like a Cassavetes movie. I mean, there's such like a real honest marriage mm. in it, you know. And it's not just two people who love each other, but it's like two people who are comfortable with each other and have lived with each other and, and know each other. Mm. You know, that part where they're like getting the kids to school and they're in the house and everything. It's just I, a beautiful scene. I think more movies would find that they would be a, a better film and more engaging if they had more romance in it yeah. because it's just building human interaction. Yeah, you know, shit, it couldn't the be Fast about and the Furious movies. Oh, yeah? Fast, hardcore. And it's part of, they say, there are a lot of articles about this and I really agree with them. Part of the reason the Fast and the Furious movies took off was because they're not cynical. And they're these huge, exciting action movies that like don't drag you down in the mud. Mm. They're about these people who are like intensely close friends, and the relationships are very serious and very real. And you know, these they're people who love each other. And um, the 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 central romances, the two of them are like very strong and and um, pitched up like love stories. Well, that's what I was gonna say is that it doesn't have to be uh, you know some heterosexual love story couple it could either easily be friendship and then the best movies this has both these have both i know but i'm just saying but that yeah, like yeah. you know you can you could add yeah. any sort of like you know you know the fact that the bromance uh shit and the judd apatow stuff has taken off should actually clue them in yeah that that this is what people actually connect to so easily even if the quality of the comedy isn't that good yo suck it apatow yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the the success of the Fast and Furious movies definitely proves a demand for it because I think, you know, people come for the cars, but they're staying and coming back. Nobody for, comes for the cars anymore. There's barely any cars in the movies anymore. There's a lot of cars in those movies. You haven't even, you've told me you haven't seen them. I saw the freaking the Fast 6 in a movie theater with the chair that moves with the theater. <laughs> That's a thing. I went to 4D? Jersey for it. Four dimensional? I think maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but are you, you know, sure the seat wasn't like missing the screw? <laughs> yeah, no, we paid more money for it. I went to Bayonne. <laughs> it was a whole thing. Damn. I've seen it and I did some research beforehand. I haven't seen the most recent one. So Jenna, you you're saying that there's cars in those films. There's mad cars in those films. There's cars in them, but it's not, you know, like the first one was where when the cars pull up, there's like a three second shot of the you know, front of the car and then you see under the hood and it's so less not, cars as it goes on, but just the right amount of friendship throughout. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very, very, um, attuned to that through the, I mean, the last movie ended with this like probably eight minute 
oh yeah goodbye tribute, right? to paul walker yeah, yeah that was like a tribute to like just the actual friendships behind the so that's, scenes that's too. why people are coming back yeah they they crave that and they're getting it from it my sister who didn't really like the last one all that much was like sobbing during that montage because it's just very human mm. i mean those movies are very human at times there's a lot of they're goofy as shit but they, you can you can do people who like each other and get along and goofy and shit at the, at, at the same time. There's you know no where you see it. it too is the Jackass movies. Yeah. I and mean, that's just a lot of love. God, the, the a lot of friendship. of Jackass 3 oh, where yeah. it's showing all their home videos. I mean, that was adorable. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like the tightest group of friends you could ever imagine and each film. It's just like they can do whatever they want to each other, but it's not going to break that friendship. They're always yeah. going to love each other. It's a beautiful story. Yeah, the Jackass movies do have this like very tight human sort of bond. Yeah, you feel the love. Yeah. All right, we're gonna close it out here. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Anthony, for uh, calling in. If you want to call in, call in our voicemail. We already played the thingy. Go back to it and listen for the number. Any final words, any y'all? Yeah, I have a a, a rant. Uh oh. But it's kind of related to monsters. I saw this weekend jellyfish eyes. Oh, right. The, Which is uh, uh, Murakami, mm. the artist, Takashi Murakami. Oh, you were talking about this on the old internet.com. Yeah, I was. <laughs> and it was really bad. Talk about a movie that like just, I really like Murakami's art. If I had to sum up Murakami's art, it would be the cuteness of a nuclear meltdown. Like that's what he does. And I like that he conforms. I like that he can like. I don't understand what that means. <laughs> you know what it means is that he has like, he'll have a whole room just full of eyes staring at you that look like maybe they're sort of melting, but there'll be these like cute eyes. But when you're in a whole room, just full of them looking at you, but it's no longer cute. It's so creepy. it's like an explosion of like pop. Oh, I get you. Like, okay. You know, like it, it's just like he'll, he, and he completely conforms, uh, you know, like if you go to any of his exhibits in museums, halfway through the, the exhibit, literally halfway through the exhibit, not at the end, not in the gift shop, Halfway through, there will be someone there selling you merchandise of his own stuff. <laughs> and you want it because it's really cute. And it's like technicolor and it's all like rainbows and it's great. And I love it. He like, he completely conforms to what, you know, just capitalism and uh, selling you shit. And he makes these really cute little creatures and you want to buy it. But then like there's something kind of like sinister beneath it. And that's what's really interesting and kind of keeps you coming right, it's back. It's part of the art in that sense. Exactly. But this movie, if he was doing that, I don't know if it was lost in translation. I'm actually a big fan of a lot of Japanese things. I feel like I, you know, would recognize kind of like, you know, if there was some sort of cultural, you know, I don't know. I feel like I have a general understanding having been a big fan, having grown up on Pokemon and Digimon. Thanks, John, uh, for dropping my that thing. was stuck to my drink. <laughs> it happens. Having grown up with with like, uh, and this movie's a monster movie. It's basically this kid moves to town. This little creature called, uh, I think, Kagebo um, shows up. And, uh, you know, it kind of becomes his pokey, or it's really more like his Digimon. You know what? Quite frankly, I'm really tired that everyone who's reviewing this is calling it Pokemon. They're more like Digimon. Anyhow, they all <laughs> That's fight. the difference. Because they're like, they come from a phone terminal. They're digital and monsters, they're digital John. monsters. <laughs> So everyone else in the school has them and then they all fight them Okay. and they're just fighting them for kicks. And in the end, it's like this big sort of so like, they all have these magical pets that came to them. And then their first instinct is to just make them fight each other. Yeah. Because kids are that evil. Is dark. And then they're also being handed. That's these like the beginning of monsters when they have the dog fight scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, this Oof. is tying back. It's a monster Full movie. Full circle. 
but then uh it's like there's some this like evil like there's literally a group of six guys in like black hoods who are like handing these monsters out and then they're like basically harvesting the sadness and torture of these kids wow. because all of them are like you know have shitty parents or like they have angst or like the main character his father died in a tsunami so like they harvest the animals read off of this and and bring it back and then they want to call up basically this big horrible creature that will begin the apocalypse like that's the point of this movie but so why do they give them pets to do it uh, because doesn't giving them pets allay the the sadness? No, nah, I mean, it all shouldn't comes they just out. hit them in the knees with something and then <laughs> suck the sadness? Is up? it like a metaphor? Well, here's the, the problem: is that this movie just kind of it felt like a bad made-for-TV movie. The dialogue's hokey. It's shot super hokey, but it's also not not like obviously hokey and not like obviously bad. It's just really conformist. And again, I don't know why I was surprised. This really seems like something that like is just a bad anime. It mm. just isn't like it just doesn't really seem to have anything under it. And even if it did, the way that they shot it and the act, the way that it's acted, you don't like it just doesn't come across. And mm. it was so disappointing, especially in him. It was like and even I think maybe my description of it is better than the movie was. Yeah, yeah, I was on board. Yeah, no. I was just, on board until I realized it was a cartoon. No, no, it's honest. live action. Oh yeah, but it it's just uh, uh, I like I Maybe can't. I, will watch it. I can't recommend it. I, it's it's such a bummer, and I really like him, and I really like when he conforms to stuff. But this just really read like just a bad made for TV movie. So Murakami, I'm sorry. I wanted to like it. I really did. I brought a friend. She now won't speak to me. <laughs> has it changed your opinion on his art? Like, has it reframed that for you at all? Nah. I still like his art because I think that people can be great artists and not be great filmmakers and people True. be great filmmakers, not great artists. You know, one Norman Miller was a terrible filmmaker. Oh God. Yeah. Or yeah, you can be great actors too, whatever, but you know, like, so there's sometimes people just can't do it all. Yeah. It can't yeah. all be cocktail, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know what I'll recommend on the line of jellyfish eyes is uh raspberry eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, YouTube video I've been trying to get Jenna to watch. I, I sent it to her like three or four times. It's, I watched uh, it. It's kind of. Harlan Williams on Tom Green Live doing his bit Raspberry Eyes. I'm not going to give anything away. Just watch it on YouTube. It's one of my favorite things of all time. Tom Green says it's the hardest he's ever laughed in his entire life, and he almost couldn't do the rest of the bit. So uh, Speaking of check Tom Green, this is all coming I back. I know. This is <laughs> our most elliptical, uh, palindromic... Uh, Am I using these words correctly, John? Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is our most that episode yet. All right, John, you got you to gotta <laughs> tie it up with a bow now. Tie it up with a bow? Okay. I recommend you guys watch Monsters. Yeah. Dark Continent. Nice. Oh, wait. Can't come more full circle than that. I thought nice. we were talking about Monsters University this whole time. <laughs> That's what I watched. <laughs> Same film. Yeah. <laughs> Has anybody actually seen that? I don't think anybody's That's seen that That's got a big movie. eye in it. If we want to bring it back to eyes. I it, saw the first one. <laughs> I, I liked the first one, and I don't like any of the fucking Pixar movies. I really only like first two sto Toy Stories and Monsters, Inc. But. I like that eyeball because he reminded me of Monster Rancher, the PlayStation game. Where they kind of lifted he that. He reminded me yeah. of What's-His-Face with the two eyeballs in his hands in Our Real Monsters. Oh, yeah. He reminded it me. What was his name? Pork Barrel. What? <laughs> <laughs> Pork <laughs> Barrel. <laughs> it wasn't that like political, that show. <laughs> Um, but it reminded me of there's a one episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse where a, a green monster with one giant eye comes and oh, visits yeah. him and he plays with them. Oh, yeah. That was a good episode. Did anybody ever play Mutant League Hockey for Sega Genesis? 
Uh, that was I never had a Genesis. Fire if you liked monster shit. It was just um basically the same controls as Wayne Gretzky hockey, except you had a special button to punch anybody at any time. Nice. And you were all various monsters. Your leader was a guy named Bones Jackson, who was a skeleton man. Oh wow. And you had big ogres with you named Smilios and his brother. And um you all carried these weapons around. And if you would start losing to the other team, you could just beat them to death. <laughs> and if you killed enough of them, they had to they had to force a forfeit. So like that was always how I won the game. I never got any I always got like two or three um goals and most of the time I just you know, hit the other team with the sticks and stuff that people throw from the stands down at you. Nice. And like there's sharks on the ice. Sometimes there's mines on the ice. Sometimes parts of the ice are on fire. This all sounds fantastic. New League hockey was fucking, that was a hot game. I got to play that. I can't recommend that one enough. I had the game called Cool Spot for Sega Genesis. Oh, that was the best game. The Dr. Pepper guy? The 7-Up guy. Best tie-in game ever. That's like a legit game. That's a great game. It reminded me of that other one, um, Vector Man, where you're just a Vector Man. Anybody play Vector Man? <laughs> I remember the commercial you're for that. You're a vector. That. You're a man who's made of vectors. Yeah. Because what happened was this was when um, Genesis was still around, but like Super Nintendo or uh, N64 had just come out. So they're like, shit, we got to do something kind of 3D-ish. Yeah. So they made like a 3D polygon man. And you just had like a jumping, catching little balls of energy, shooting bad guys game with him. But you're... This like absurdly detailed little polygon man. Vector Man was awesome. All right. All right. Get yeah, get get a Genesis and get Mutant League Hockey and Vector Man, I guess. Yeah. And then watch that movie. Yeah. Monsters <laughs> Dark Continent on Netflix. This concludes this episode of Smug Game. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>